Oh, Michelle, I'm so glad you're here with us talking about PMADs and the effective treatments that we can also utilize to help out with these uh, things that can come up for women. And uh, your organization, Women's Health Innovations of Arizona, is just a huge asset for not only all the families here in the Valley, but really anywhere, right? Because we can reach out to you and get help virtually as well. Yes, so we're seeing um, families and moms um, across the state now because of telehealth. You must be very proud of what you started and, mm -hmm. and the growth and expansion. You guys are just blowing up. I am very grateful. Um, it's been very exciting to be a part of this process, and I have an incredible team that works really hard and has a passion for serving moms and families. So it's it's pretty exciting to be a part of. Well, and you have so many great resources and all the therapists that come on and educate our community, we're very thankful for and uh, explain PMADs. Let's let's break it down because I think sure. there's there's not a lot of clarity on everything that we're talking about here. You know, it's like sure. such it's such a, a postpartum. Right. And then people have this conception in their mind. I think of it just is this one thing. And that's not true. No, it's not. You're right. So it stands for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And perinatal means in pregnancy or any time in the first year postpartum. Also, we do know that mood changes can occur um, when you're weaning from breastfeeding. So someone might, you know, ex start weaning at a year or 18 months or even later, and then experience a mood change. So perinatal is in that really encompasses that pregnancy, first year postpartum, or even any time after that. And then anxiety and mood changes. So we have a whole spectrum of mood shifts that can occur. But most people think about postpartum depression, or you'll hear people say, oh, I had the baby blues. And when I ask and I clarify, usually what I hear is, well, the blues, yeah, it lasted about two or three months. Well, that's not really the blues. So the blues is something that happens in about 80%, up to 80% of women. And it's really the result of all the changes that occur as a result of labor and delivery and the huge hormone shift that occurs after you deliver. The blues doesn't last more than two weeks and it is not a form of depression. It is, there's so much happening to the body with sleep deprivation and stress hormones and love hormones and um, our stress from the labor and delivery that our body is adjusting. So it's really that roller coaster of emotions that occurs in those first few weeks where I might feel joyful one moment and irritable the next. I might even question, goodness, what have I done because I'm so tired and overwhelmed. And then I might be tearful at a, at a commercial that I'm seeing. Um, but it's not a mood, it's not a form of depression. And it usually subsides after those few weeks. If it doesn't, what we can see is we hear depression, right? Right. Peri these perinatal mood disorders are the number one complication of pregnancy and depression, perinatal depression happens in about 20% of women. So just think about that for a moment. One That's... in five women, it's the number one complication of pregnancy. And so perinatal depression is, is really looks like 
that sadness and tearfulness, um, feeling overwhelmed. I hear moms describe it like I have this fog over my head and I can't get out of it, or I'm in a pit and I can't get out of that. I don't feel like myself. I've lost myself. Um, you can also have though irritability in depression, in a perinatal depression. So I might not be in my bed with the covers over my head crying. I might just feel really irritable. So if you've put something that doesn't belong where it needs to be, I might feel really angry about that. Um, and so some people get really confused because they think, well, I'm not crying in my bed all the time, but man, I'm so cranky all the time and I'm just irritable. And that could be part of the depression symptoms too. But we have to take depression seriously because women can experience suicidal thoughts with depression. And we don't, there's no reason for women to to be in that to have that experience because these disorders are treatable we also know that dads can experience postpartum depression one in ten dads can experience depression and what we see typically with dads is maybe they might feel more irritable and angry they may um withdraw or throw themselves into work or hide in their man cave or be on their phone because they're they're just disconnecting from the situation and sometimes we don't think about, well, how can a dad experience that? They're not having all those hormone changes. But we have to remember that having a child is a massive life change. And it, with change comes stress. With stress comes shifts in our chemistry, too. And a lot of psychosocial things can come up as well. So we have to consider that when we think about those mood disorders that can happen. Yeah, and I'm glad you're talking about men. I, I read something where when men don't get enough sleep, their testosterone drops significantly. Mm -hmm. And and that's going to affect that. That's their ma a major hormone for men, right? Absolutely. And it's going to affect how they feel. Absolutely. And so we don't want to minimize this experience because, you know, oftentimes what we can do is or so what parents will hear is, well, this people have been having babies forever. What's the problem? But we we have a lot more going on right now with our bodies, with our community, with our social issues, you know, so all of those things contribute to our experience when we have a child. Yes. You can also have anxiety in pregnancy or postpartum and anxiety can be presented like um, where I, I'm fidgeting, I'm moving all the time, or maybe I can't just settle myself or maybe my, my thoughts are just going crazy. Like I come constantly thinking about everything. Maybe I'm researching things because I'm kind of looking at, okay, what about this? What about that? What about this? And I'm researching things. So I can't really settle myself. I can't be calm. And anxiety looks very different than depression. And so sometimes what we see, we see a lot of fam families with anxiety and they think, well, I, I didn't think I was struggling with a postpartum issue because I'm not depressed, right. but I really am wound up and I can't shut my brain off and I can see fear in everything. And so sometimes what can happen is that I can, you know, look at maybe not getting the swaddle correct and think, oh my goodness, my kid is going to end up under a bridge somewhere because <laughs> I didn't get this right. Like, what if, you know? Yeah. And so that's what we call anxiety thinking. Like we can come to the worst case scenario or we project into the future. And so a lot of times um, what happens is people can maybe not get help and then they can have co-occurring depression with that. 
and they can feel so overwhelmed. But the, the anxiety is treatable as well. And I think that that's really important for everybody to hear is that all of this is treatable and it can be treatably, treated effectively too. And sometimes moms just need to reach out and talk to somebody. Absolutely. We know social support is a protective factor. So whether that is with a trusted confidant or a support group or a therapist or a peer support, um, that kind of social support is really essential to just know I'm not alone. Like social support groups, their um, support groups are so effective for helping a, a, a mom just know I'm not the only one going through this. Remember, number one complication of pregnancy. That's why I tell, I tell all of my moms in all of my educational classes about women's health innovations. And we talk about fourth trimester and I just want to bring that awareness to it because I've had clients actually reach out to me after having a baby and say, I, you know, and I'm the, the doula, right. I'm not Mm -hmm. the family circle where they're like, I can't talk to my mom about this. You know, we worked really hard to have this baby and I've mentioned it a little bit about how I feel and she just says, look, you're, you should be happy. You are blessed. You worked hard to have this baby. And, and so snap out of it and yep. you can't just snap out of it. And so no. they need a safe place to go, right. Where yes. they can air their feelings and be like, look, I'm not trying to be ungrateful. I'm not, I'm not crazy. This is just how I feel right now. Absolutely. And there is power in being seen and being heard. Yes. And unfortunately, in motherhood and new motherhood, there are these myths of motherhood. And I know you've talked about these, but that this is a happy glowing time and that I'm going to be joyful all the time and I'm going to know what to do. And I don't. What ends up happening is, as women is we tend to turn on ourselves and we become get full of shame that like something is wrong with us. And um, when we can get we get stuck in shame, then that just pushes that just, you know, gives us a heavier burden and fuels that mood to decline even more. So having a safe place to to be heard and seen is so powerful for a parent. That's why support groups, peer support, therapy, other friends. And I think it's important to recognize who are those people that are emotionally safe for me. That I can say, this is how I'm feeling and they're not gonna try and change my mind, they're gonna hear me. Right. And I love that you have, you have those support groups where couples can come as well. Right. So that men can understand what's going on with their, their significant other, if they're struggling with any of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important to mention if I'm struggling with a perinatal mood disorder, it has nothing to do with my baby. Right. And I think that we have this thought that, oh my gosh, if I'm depressed or anxious, um, it must mean I don't love my baby. It has absolutely nothing to do with my with my baby, which then what we see like in depression is moms feel this overwhelming sense of guilt because they're not happy and they think it has something to do with their baby. And it's really not about their baby. It's about what's going on with them. It's they bring into this journey their past 
and their biology and their genetics and their own experience and their social support and all of that contributes to their experience and i think we've lived in the last couple of years with covid has been a highly stressful time and actually the covid numbers we have been seeing that one in three women have been experiencing a perinatal mood disorder i was just going to ask you that yeah. yeah so you have seen it rise absolutely and we have grown significantly in the last two years because of that. And the need is so great. We continue to grow. So I want to go back to, so we have depression, we have the baby blues, we have depression, we have anxiety. We also can have some panic in, the, in pregnancy and postpartum. And panic, if you've never experienced panic before and you have a panic attack, you are going to believe like you're losing your mind. So you can have these physical symptoms of panic where you can have a heat rising and your heart racing, sweating. And with panic comes this belief that I'm dying, I'm losing control, or I'm going crazy. And sometimes for pregnant or postpartum women, they can be woken up out of a sleep in a panic attack. Now, a previous history of panic disorder or extreme anxiety or severe anxiety is a risk factor, a family history that's good to know. But if you've never had a, 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 a panic attack and that happens to you in your pregnancy or postpartum, it can be so overwhelming. So that's why I love to share about what perinatal mood disorders look like because it empowers women and families too that, oh, this is a panic attack. This is not, you're not crazy. Let's breathe. This is a panic attack. So you can have that in that perinatal period. You can also have OCD in the perinatal period. And yeah. OCD is very misunderstood. It's misdiagnosed. And when we think about OCD, we often think about that obsessive thinking, right? So like I fear germs and the compulsive behavior is I wash my hands. And that, is, that can present itself like that in, in the perinatal period. There's another presentation in that perinatal period that looks like these intrusive, scary thoughts about bad things happening to the baby. And a mom is horrified and overwhelmed and feels so much shame by those thoughts. And she's not going to go just willingly tell someone, hey, I'm just having this intrusive thought about my baby. And so oftentimes moms will suffer in silence and then they will have co-occurring depression with that. And we treat a lot of perinatal OCD. And I will say you are not alone. It happens to a significant number of people and it is treatable. And we and you there's no shame in it because thoughts are just thoughts. Thoughts are not action. And the mom knows that these thoughts are not right and they are overwhelming her and they are they are scary for her. And mom will go do anything she possibly can to keep that baby safe. Um, that's the thing that's really important. She's very in touch with reality. It's very misunderstood. So if, if, if um, she's, she's afraid to say something to, to others because she's like, well, what kind, of, what kind of person? What I hear a lot is, what kind of person has thoughts like this going through their mind? But we all have intrusive thoughts at one time or another in our lives. Sure. Just think about it this way. If we're driving down the freeway, and that big truck that's carrying all the, the cars cuts in front of us. What do we think? We might have an intrusive thought that all those cars are going to come off on us. That's an intrusive thought. Someone with OCD will sit there and analyze, well, why did I have that thought? What does that mean that, because, that I had that thought? Where someone who doesn't have OCD will just go, that's weird, and drive off and be okay. But we, with OCD, we may send, like ruminate on it and, and, and analyze it and want to know why it happened. It can cause us a lot of distress. 
Yeah, I've had moms that have had that, you know, so I, I, I definitely hear back the, the feelings and emotions that a lot of the moms go through after pregnancy. And so everything you're talking about right now, I've had my fair share of, they've all had little bits of this, you know, different things. And I love treating perinatal OCD. I, I think there's so much freedom when a mom can hear you are not alone in this. You didn't cause this. And this is treatable. The thoughts are just thoughts and we, we can treat this. And there's just, just to see the freedom and relief and, and to work with moms with perinatal OCD is, is one of the most satisfying. I think that we all in our, in our organization, we, we know it, we see it a lot and we can treat it. That's awesome. Do you see that? Like, I mean, I think stress and anxiety is rampant just in our society in general, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And millions those, of people yeah. have anxiety, struggle they, with anxiety. Right. And everyone has maybe suffers with this to different degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Some is some it's worse than others. If moms have some stress and anxiety before they're even pregnant, then they get pregnant. Would that be a little bit of a red flag that maybe they would experience this more on the other side after baby's here? Do you see Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yes. So a previous history of depression, anxiety, or any other mood struggle is a risk factor for a perinatal mood disorder. Um, A a previous history of trauma or um, a family history of a a perinatal mood disorder or any mood disorder, depression, anxiety is also a risk factor. So if we know, if we can know that beforehand, we can do things and implement elements of prevention within pregnancy to prepare for the postpartum. Um, but what ends up happening is we often think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I got that taken care of years ago. And then we, we tend to just have the crisis or I, I don't recognize myself, but we can do things in pregnancy to prepare for the, the postpartum to minimize the crisis. And um, like I said, social support, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is so effective. One of the best practices, uh, interpersonal therapy that really looks at the, how the relationships are affected is another really um, best practice um, therapy model that we follow. And so we know we have effective models for treatment and effective interventions. And if we can start implementing those things in the pregnancy, there's so that we can change the outcome for the, the postpartum because we can implement prevention tools. That's so nice. And what, what's great is like you said, moms can see you virtually as well. I'm sure you have lots mm-hmm. of families that want to come in, but yep. when you have a newborn baby, that's hard maybe yep. to be able to, maybe you need help with the care, someone to come sure. take care of the baby while you go actually drive in. So families can see you virtually. And do you find that the virtual appointments are just as effective? I do. I mean, we've been doing it for two years like now. I mean, I was really resistant to virtual appointments at first, and um, we have been able to really um, have the same kind of effect. And we've we've actually um, surveyed our clients to kind of just understand what their experience is with the virtual um, appointments, and they have a positive response to them as well. Our goal is really to make it easy for mom. And getting treatment shouldn't be a, a barrier. So that might, whether that's because how we bill, we bill insurance, we bill access, we have grant funded donor driven programs, or if it's virtual or in-person um, appointments, we want it to be easy for her to access care. 
The mentor and the mentor program that you guys offer, that's where if a mom's having a really hard time, she has a mentor where she can just call, right? So uh, so we have peer supports, yes. Oh, that's so, the peer support. Yes, okay. and our coaches. Right. And so we, we can pair a coach with our, our moms. We have coaches that will reach out by phone or um, do even telehealth sessions themselves that are shortened just to check in and see how things are going. Um, but our, our therapists are also pretty available to our clients as well. We know that perinatal women are a unique population to work with and um, we're invested in working with our parents and being available to them when we need to. What's your thought on placenta encapsulation? I mean, I do it. I see, yep. I, I see that it helps women that have, you know, maybe stress or anxiety. I have some OBs that even have suggested that their patients try it, you know, that, you know, they've had a lot of stress and anxiety before being uh, pregnant. And I think the OB was concerned a little bit. Maybe this might be something that could be helpful for you on the, on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen it help women. Do you see that as something that can I, we work with well. a, yes we work with a lot of um, women who do placenta encapsulation and they I the self-report is so powerful I, we hear so many positive things we also look at the research and so the research might say one thing but what I hear from self-report from my clients and all of our clients is that they they have a positive response to that and i think it's really important to remember that um getting you know having someone do the placenta encapsulation that knows what they're doing is sure. really important but um absolutely i think that we have to look at the individual in front of us and what works for them and exactly. so there's no one prescription of how this is going to go for that person in front of us and we need to be able to hear that mom say this is what i need one of the questions i ask often to my clients is what is the greatest need right now and oftentimes they're shocked when i ask that because nobody else is asking them that and so we want to know you know with their treatment what is need what what do you need so some need more naturopathic um interventions and so we, we i love arizona for that reason you can go to a naturopath that's a licensed provider here in the right. state. Uh, we can have an acupuncturist involved. There's a pelvic floor physical therapist for physical needs. We can have therapy involved. You can have medication involved, but we wanna hear what the person is, uh, what the person needs and wants and help facilitate that with them. That breaks my heart that nobody asks them what they need. Yeah, yeah. You know? So we can all do that. So yes. Another thing that can happen, and I, I really want to make sure I touch on this, is post-traumatic stress disorder that can occur in pregnancy and the postpartum. And we work with a lot of people who experience either, either full-blown PTSD or symptoms of PTSD. And that, those symptoms can include anxiety and sort of hypervigilance, like a hyper-alert. Like oh, I call it like a cat, a cat ready to pounce. I'm always on hyper-alert. Or we could have numbing and disconnect or avoidance when we've had a trauma. And trauma can occur, um, we, can have, we can have anger, we can have sleep it, um, disruptions with, with trauma symptoms, we can have depression and overwhelm. And trauma can occur anytime that there's a sense of horror, overwhelm, and fear of harm or death coming to myself or somebody I love. 
So it's pretty, it's, it, trauma is truly in the eye of the beholder. And trauma can occur in the perinatal period for two reasons. We often see previous trauma, like sexual trauma or physical trauma come up um, because this is such a vulnerable time or trauma of the birth or the pregnancy not going the way I expected it. So there's been interventions or maybe the, the pregnancy was stressful, but remembering that trauma is in the eye of the beholder. So I always ask people, what did you think about your pregnancy, your labor and your delivery? I'm not going to make an assumption that because there was a positive, a good outcome with a healthy baby, that it was a positive experience. I wanna know what they thought about it. And trauma, when we experience trauma, it's like a disconnect from our head and our heart. And we, and that happens so we can survive what we're going through. And what ends up happening is then is that trauma gets stuck in our brain when we've not processed it well enough. And so then it affects the way we see the world. And so oftentimes we can see people um, have this belief that the world's not safe or um, I deserved what happened. You know, we have these negative beliefs that come up. And then they go through, then they can travel through the, through life with that. And trauma can be, is, is treatable. And all of our therapists are trained in one of the best practices for trauma treatment called EMDR. We work closely with a psychiatric provider who does other, other interventions for trauma treatment. And, um, it's affect all of these, these, there's best practices for trauma treatment and we do them. So we don't have to suffer as, with the result of trauma. And remembering that it's so important to recognize that trauma is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. So what I think is traumatic is gonna be different than what you think is traumatic and that's okay. And that is okay. And having yeah. someone to help you work through it so that we can clear it and move on in a healthy way is so important. Absolutely. And then one last thing is that we hear about is postpartum psychosis. And that occurs in one in every thousand births. And that's usually what we hear about when there's a tragedy that happens um, on the news. We hear that on the news. And um, when psychosis happens, usually a, a, the mom is not is has false beliefs about the baby or delusions um, may have hallucinations so they see or hear things that aren't there they might have in, um, where they just don't need any sleep where they're just up for days on end um, postpartum psychosis is a medical emergency the thing that always gets me is that when we have a tragedy because there's a there's a four percent risk of infanticide and a five percent risk of suicide with with postpartum psychosis and that is why it's a medical emergency but right. unfortunately what we hear on tv is they call it postpartum depression yes and so yes. yes and so then people think well i don't want to kill my baby so i must not have postpartum depression when that happens when we see that on on those tragedies happen and a woman is not in touch with reality that is not depression that is psychosis and it is more rare it does occur and it is treatable and we have treated many women with postpartum that have experienced postpartum psychosis because it's our, you know, we specialize in maternal mental health. So that means the whole spectrum of things that can occur. That's our specialty. And I always say that this period of time in pregnancy and this whole time of postpartum in that year, but early parenting, such a vulnerable time because all of these things can occur. Yes. And all of our stuff comes up usually to the surface. Uh -huh. We have lots of triggers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
And you don't have to do it alone. There are people who specialize in maternal mental health. There are best practice treatments. So like I said, cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal therapy for trauma. We do EMDR. It's an emerging therapy, best practice therapy for perinatal PTSD. Um, support is so important. So we provide support groups and therapy groups that are free. Um, we work with community members to provide other support um, groups too, because we know that that's really important. And then peer support. That's awesome. Can I ask you a question on the psychosis piece? Are sure. there are there things that maybe loved ones would be noticing with a woman who's starting to go there? Like, do you see that usually a woman that's going to experience psychosis, does she just snap and she's there? Or are there things leading up to it that would be mm -hmm. some warning signs that maybe listeners would hear and go, oh, yeah, I need to take yeah. a look at that. Or maybe we need to get some help before we go, sure. before she really goes there. Sure. So well, a risk factor. And if, if, if a woman is already diagnosed with bipolar disorder, okay, then that's a huge risk factor. And so before pregnancy, we want to get her, make sure that she is working with someone who understands perinatal mental health. And we can work with, we, we can work with a prescriber and therapist who can get her through her pregnancy and prepare for the postpartum period. So bipolar disorder is a big risk factor. Family history of bipolar disorder is another risk factor because sometimes a woman will have her first onset of a bipolar illness in that perinatal period. So we want to understand what the whole history is. That's one thing. But another thing that we with family members might notice, and oftentimes we will see the P, we will see it onset within the first two weeks postpartum. I mean, we can see it at other times, but the onset within the first few weeks um, is insomnia. And people joke and minimize in, insomnia oh. with perinatal families. They're like, oh, you've got a new baby, so you don't sleep. No, this is mom who's maybe getting two hours of sleep in a 24-hour period. In some of the tragedies that have occurred here um, that were uh, um, uh, cases of postpartum psychosis, those moms were getting two to four hours of sleep in a 24-hour period for like days on end, maybe having disoriented, um, disorganized thinking, um, and really um, not making, like, you know, bizarre, scary paranoia, um, having, you know, false beliefs about the baby. And, um, but that sleep thing is, is a, big... a huge red flag. Okay. Sleep deprivation and the mood go hand in hand. And so I encourage everyone to really incur, really identify how much sleep is this person getting in a 24 hour period? That yeah. can tell you a lot of things. Okay. That's good to know. And that's why, you know, before the baby gets here, it's always, I always tell my families, think about how you can work together as a team mm -hmm. so that you can support each other with sleep. Moms need their sleep. Yes. So do dads, you know, you, it, you need that balance. It really does affect the way you feel emotionally, physically, mentally, it fogs you out. Absolutely. And if you have a history of a mood struggle, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, any other mood struggles or mood disorders, then we have to look at part of elements of prevention is looking at how do we protect the sleep because protecting sleep equals mental wellness. I like how you say that, that's true. 
Yeah. We yeah. can't trivialize the sleep. Like you said, oh, no. you're a new parent. You're, you're not supposed to get sleep. Yeah, yeah. you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Like I work with moms. Well, we'll, we'll say, let's, let's see how you guys can tag team. And so maybe you can get five hours of sleep and then dad or partner or, da- or, or some other family member can take the second shift of the night. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are definitely things that they can think about and resources and ways Mm -hmm. to figure out a balance of sleep, but it's definitely important. Well, I am so thankful that you were here today and that this worked out. I know you are one busy woman and uh, (laughs) your organization gives us our community so much. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you. um, Thank you for having me. And thank you for having my team. We are so grateful to you for this opportunity and for here. Well, we will keep having you on as much as you, as much as the, you guys can give us, we're going to have you with us. So um, thanks so much, Michelle. And I hope all of you listeners out there contact Women's Health Innovations of Arizona. They're there to help you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.